The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today we're talking about how to make a heist movie for under 100k, and how to get your film in cinemas and seen by the public. I am Giles Alderson, co-writer and director of The Dark, psychological horror feature film The Dare and World of Darkness feature documentary. And producer of pitch black horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. Joining me is director extraordinaire who has made the feature films Freak Out, Stalled and Fanged Up and the Channel 4 short Night Feed starring Alice Lowe and Goblin starring Holiday Granger and David Oakes. It's Christian. James, hello, Christian. Giles, thanks. Whenever I hear that, it's, uh, it always sounds uh, much better when you uh, abridge your filmography in such a way. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so, um, this is something you wanted to say. Uh, Merry Christmas. Th- that'll do, yeah. Well, we've sort of done Christmas now. Oh, yeah. What news have you got? Uh, oh, I have got some news. Do you know what? I have got some fresh fanged up news, but I can't actually... Annoyingly, I don't think I'm allowed to say it yet. So maybe by the time we come up for the next podcast, I'll be able to reveal a little bit more. But it's just basically release details and, and such, and who it's coming out through, blah, 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 blah. But um, yeah, all good. All good. I love that. I'm so excited. That's why we sort of set up this podcast, so that yeah. people can watch your films and we can watch theirs yeah how about you buddy what's uh, what's what's new views for uh, the day yeah so we've now pretty much locked the movie um which is really exciting we've literally done another final little edit now and we've locked the picture and we're going on to vfx and uh, grade and sound mix and it's all ridiculously exciting um yeah so oh what's this space i'll let you all know because it's close, it's close. This is the exciting bit, though, where you get to really play with the music and the grade. And yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to tell you all about it. Good. Right, do you want to do that intro now? That bit you were going to say. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Okay. <laughs> you forgot you had to read something. Yeah. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And why not check out our previous shows with Kingsman actor Mark Strong chatting in depth about working with directors, Ridley Scott about working <laughs> in depth about working with directors Matthew Vaughan Ridley Scott Guy Ritchie and Danny Boyle or the episode on how to go from music videos to feature films with Phil, Phil Bowman and Jamie Thraves is it Thraves that you say it Thraves yep, yep good. Thraves yeah. just checking uh, uh, those guys they chat about working with Aidan Gillen or, or on their film Pickups or the episode with the team behind the indie western The Stolen which stars Alice Eve or the episode with High Low Joe director James Kermack chatting with how to make a low budget indie and win awards amazing there's so many there's so many more that we've done This, this we're, we're, we're flying now with these episodes do catch up do listen to some amazing facts and figures and information and tidbits all about how to make feature films it's incredible uh, as you are listening to this why not hit the subscribe button why not why not share it and like it show your love and support plus then we know you listened and we love to engage with our gang of filmmakers don't we cj yes we do yeah you throw your abuse our way please <laughs> yeah please throw it our way it really means a lot to us so let's get to the main meat of today's episode the main meat Oh, I like that. I'm <laughs> vegan, so I won't be eating you. But the main meat actually will be today is Lee Chambers. Hello, everybody. I am the main meat, I guess, right? <laughs> if you like, if you like to be the main meat, then we will all meet you. 
There you go. How's Sounds that? good. Oh, and uh, and Merry Christmas 2018. Woohoo! Nice. Yes. <laughs> so Lee Chambers is a Canadian. Am I right with that? I'm a Canadian. I'm a British Canadian. I'm a British citizen and a Canadian citizen. Even better. And you graduate from Leeds Metropolitan University in the UK, right? Did 20 years ago. I can't believe how time flies. It does indeed. And you worked here in England and LA. Um, you wrote and direct drama, shorts, music videos and commercials in both England and UK. Um, you created the award-winning Make It Short film project in 2005, which has got some amazing support from Academy Award winners Paul Haggis. Dennis Arcand and Roger Corman. Check you out. And in 2012, Lee won the NLMFA Screenwriter of the Year Award for his Australian short film, Hugh Jackman Saves the World, which I'm very excited to talk to you about because for one thing, that title is amazing. And his uh, directorial feature film, The Pineville Heist, of which he's the writer, producer and director, has been selected by over 50 festivals with 60 plus nominations and 30 plus awards around the world. So welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Lee Chambers. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Ah, oh, really great to have you here. So we've got some exciting news about the Pineville heist, the film we're talking about on this podcast. What is the news? Uh, well, the movie is now out in America on Amazon.com and uh, a lot of other platforms are coming out soon. Uh, we have, through the sales agent, uh, been heard that it's uh, been sold to about a dozen countries, including China, Korea, and uh, some Middle Eastern countries as well. But uh, hold on, UK, Australia. Cool. It is coming soon to your area as well. So I can't wait till it comes out there. Oh, I can't wait too. I'm really excited. So this podcast is all about helping people get off their asses and make their first feature film or the harder part yet, carry on making films. So let's start at the beginning. How did you actually start? What was your journey? My original, originally, I, I did a graphic design, three-year graphic design diploma in Canada. And, uh, and after about two weeks uh, of working full time as a graphic designer uh, and sitting behind a desk and a computer all day long, I wanted to I wanted to blow my brains open. I said I can't do this for another forty five years. A lot of the things I did in graphic design they do complement filmmaking. So you're talking about color theory, you're talking about uh, typography, um, you know, contrast and tones. You're talking about composition. So a lot of the things that you 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 deal with in in filmmaking is is still similar. So it's kind of a diagonal shift into filmmaking, but I, I backpack around Europe in my, um, in my mid twenties and had a great time. I've, oh, nice. uh, uh, had a, uh, I've, uh, relatives in, uh, in Yorkshire. Yorkshire is where I'm from, my friend. In, Yorkshire. In Odysfield, who are in the premiership now. And I'm so excited. That's where uh, I'm, that's, what, that's where I've been for Christmas. Yorkshire. Absolutely love it. There you go. There you go. Huddersfield town beat Manchester United. Very okay. excited. They did. Um, they did. And so hopefully they stay up. <laughs> anyway, enough. this isn't a football podcast. Unfortunately, Come on, it's a, no, it's not. It's not. But it's nice to find another filmmaker who really likes football. Um, so that's there. always a bonus for me, especially to talk about Huddersfield. Come on, town. All right. So <laughs> I went, uh, so I, I decided, actually, really, I was going to go and live in England for six months to a year just to, just to, just to experience it. Uh, my family history and heritage is in Yorkshire. And um, I got, uh, I, I literally was walking by uh, the film school in Leeds, in Leeds Metropolitan University, and started talking to some people there. And, um, you know, six months later, uh, I was a, a student. So I did my film school there, had a great time, met some great people. I'm still good friends with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the grads that I, I went to school with. And, um, that was it. I was hooked. It was, uh, you know, just, it, it's just, it's everything. It's, it's being on set. It's writing. It's developing. It, it's, um, it's being in the edit room. It's, it's all that stuff. And just to be able to, to be able to create a story, to have something in your head and for you to go through this process where it's usually a solitary thing in front of a computer typing words and to, to balloon up into a team of people. And then to go back down to by, by yourself again and to be able to throw that movie in front of an audience and to hear them laugh or cry is a huge, tremendous power. Uh, and it's a huge rush to be able to impact people's lives uh, through 
the medium of film. And uh, it was a, that's it. It was a hooked. And people would say, what's your backup plan? What's your backup plan? I'm like, I don't have a backup plan. I have to do this. This is, this is, uh, this is, this is, this is my, my life. Yeah. I love that. It's so true. It's what me and CJ talk about quite a lot is, is the, the, the passion we have when we get on set, the passion we have when we're writing or in the edit room. And even if there's problems, the the love of it just gets you through the fact is that you hope people will enjoy this it might change their lives it probably won't but the fact is you want to entertain and you want to create and make something magical uh, and everyone yeah. can do it you know everyone can do this who wants to do it it's, it's so I'd always, I'd always sort of said oh sorry just go, go on, on. i've interrupted fin- no go on finish yourself off go on what are you <laughs> finish myself off. finish yourself off yeah. <laughs> do it now um Quickly, uh, everyone's waiting. No, uh, I was going to say that my backup plan, and much like you guys, my backup plan was just okay. If it's not directing, I'll do you know, I'll do something else within the industry. So yeah, I just, as long as you're happy. The same with me going from acting to directing. It was a similar vein, even though it's very different. Um, mm. It's still that creative world, and it and it. And you developed a skill set which is mm-hmm. very handy for directing, as you like working with actors. It's yes, like, great. So, uh, Lee, if I may, what was this? What was the, going past that film school in Leeds, and what was the eureka? What you saw something? What what made you think? Hang about all these things connect. What had you done before that that made you think? Oh yeah, film school. That's going to work. Well, you know, it was it was serendipitous in many ways because uh, even when I was in in college in Canada and beyond, I you know you, a, a, prof- a professor or teacher would give you an option and say, well, you can write a you can write a five thousand word essay or you can do a video, and I'd always picked a video. And it's like, and what's funny is you think it'll be easier, and really, in fact, it's actually harder. I mean, it's more work, um, but, but I enjoy but it. I love doing it. And when I went to film school. It was to partially to demystify the process because you go back 20 years ago in order to make a movie. It wasn't video. It was film stock. It was film cameras. It was, um, it was, you know, a slightly different, um, path for how you made films. And, and, um, yeah. and I wanted, and I wanted to experience that. And, and even though, you know, interestingly enough, I'm not a techie. So I went to film school as more of a producer director. And, um, you know, I don't, I can operate a camera, but I suck at it. So I hire the best camera operator I can and I can record sound, but I suck at it. So I'll hire the best sound recorders I can. And so, uh, I learned to surround myself with really good people to complement my ideas. But I mean, in basics, basically I'm a, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. So I have ideas. I've got, I can have a full dream, wake up at three o'clock in the morning going, holy shit, that would make a good movie. Uh, and I actually have to get myself out of bed and I have to start writing it down. Um, and, and because I can almost see it as complete movie, I can, I can hear the score, I can see the scenes and the cuts and, and whatnot. And so, um, you know, it's, it's film school gave me the opportunity to demystify filmmaking. It allowed me to surround myself with like-minded people who are just as passionate and willing to understand that because I think a lot of people have no idea what that they think, you know, I'll spend eight years working to make my movie from starting to write the script to actually getting it screened on a in a cinema eight years. And the average person will just sit down for 90 minutes, watch it and go, yeah, it was all right. And you think yeah, exactly. you, you yeah. invested you invested 90 minutes. I invested eight years. And the you know people don't realize the amount of uh, work that goes into making a movie. And the decisions that make uh, that, that make a movie, and how much effort and work it takes to do it. It's very true. You know what's funny? When eight years ago, when I started working in the Pineville Heist, someone said, "Oh, you know, you shoot on a red camera or whatever." And I was like, "No, I don't want to shoot on video. I'm a filmmaker. I don't shoot video." <laughs> and then you realize yeah. the industry has shifted and changed in the compute. And and you know, yes. it's about the story. If someone can watch the screen, do they really care what format it is on? If it's if it's as long as it's quality. Um, and it's high quality. And then once the quality level got to there, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm shooting on an Alexa. It's almost like, uh, you know, ten year, five years ago, someone said, do you want to, do you want to get your movie on Netflix? I'm like, no, I don't want my movie on Netflix. It's stupid. And now it's like, <laughs> yes, I want a Netflix deal. Eventually. I'd love to. Exactly. I'll yeah, take exactly. it. Cause uh, you know, it changes, it changes so, so fast. I mean, from my point of view, I mean, yes, you know what? The thing is you, on your budget, you should pick the, the highest quality format you can afford. And so if you only have a black magic and that's all you can afford, then use a black magic. But if you can afford an Alexa, then get an Alexa. And, and then same goes with, um, you know, what lights you can get and what lenses you can get, get, get what you can get, get the best stuff you can get on what you can afford. 
and um, and and use that so that your image quality, your cap, what you're capturing is awesome. But from my point of view, from my side of it, is 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 all comes down, I think, to the story. I mean, it really comes, you know, you know what what's this? What are we capturing? What are, what are we lighting? What is who is standing in front of the camera saying those lines? Is sort of my forte. It's where it's the world I live in. And like I said, I can pick up a camera and shoot something, but I'm I don't have the instincts of a cinematographer. I have the instincts of a writer and director. It's a different different skill set. So yeah, it's all about story. I feel exactly the same way. If it's story, story, story. People will watch something on an iPhone as long as it's got a good story. It's it's not a problem. Um, totally agree with that. So. You, you've, you've learned quite a lot. You've been teaching for a long time. And in that time, you've, you've made quite a few shorts as well. One I'd love to talk about is Hugh Jackman Saves the World. Now, uh, what can you tell us about this rather brilliantly titled short film that's been winning lots of awards? Uh, yeah, that one goes back a number of years now. That goes back about six, seven years. Um, and how did you go about shooting it? Because obviously you've got the kids there, and obviously they're part of the uh, the, the festival, if you like, that you were that you're doing we shot it in a day it was actually supposed to be a very traditional australian movie where it was going to be uh rugby kids were out playing rugby and and the teachers see these girls sitting off to the side not not participating in in, and whatnot but in the day in australia the day we shot it turned out to be this horrific day of cloudy rainy windy and so we had to make it basketball and kind of set it somewhat indoors all the planning in the world on the day we because the morning of the shoot was great it was beautiful out it's a very australian fantastic nice blue sky but the forecast was hurricane winds and shit <laughs> and see that and that happens it happens doesn't it you know the worst thing to do is to spend the morning shooting and then it all changes and then you're screwed so we we moved we, i said we got to move it indoors sadly but um yeah, we're good. Like I said, I had the uh, the the cinematographer um, that I worked with on on that was um, the guy who shot my Pineville Heist movie, Dave LeMay, who I know actually from LVJ, which you were the casting director on in some way. Uh, this is a feature film that it hasn't come out yet, and maybe it never will. But they made it what fourteen years ago? Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> I had like what well, I did it in L.A. It was it was interesting casting in L.A. because I put the casting call out and had like eight hundred people wanting wow wanting wow. parts in this little movie that didn't have any money, no money at all, right? I mean, look this this film's it, the, it's amazing, right? If they ever get this out there, it will be amazing. It's a really cool, fun, almost Back to the Future esque meets Men in Black story that they shot for no money over how many years 14 years and they've been doing the post which is so much vfx on it um and i've got a small role in it it was actually my first ever role as an actor in film uh and the reason i got that role it's quite quite a fun story i'll tell you was they were looking for dancers for the music video and me being me went right sod it i'm gonna go along not really being a great dancer i got there and it was just girls they only wanted girls so I was like, well, can I stay anyway? <laughs> there were some nice nice girls there. Uh, and they said, well, not really. I said, go on, I'll just be in the back. Let me stay. And they, they liked me so much. They said, listen, we're going to make you the lead in the music video and we're going to write you a role in the film. So sometimes it does pay to, to be a little bit cheeky. Um, and then they wrote that about four years later, I reshot more stuff because they liked my character. And yeah, so what? And like I say, that's how a connection between me and you, Lee, and obviously Dave LeMay, who shot yeah. that, shot your short film and Pineville Heist, which is a yeah. nice little segue and a nice little story. I hope they get it out just for the sake of them and what a great story that they managed to do it and we'll yeah. get them on the podcast when they do. So that brings us perfectly onto the Pineville Heist. Give me the good news, Phil. What the hell do you mean the mill never got the transfer? I personally made sure my funds were in the bank yesterday. means this whole thing rests on your shoulders. Things been hit. What'd they get away with? I don't know where to The bank fugitives? How do we know he's not just making this up? Right here I see the lights go out. They got a man in his hands on the Bible. 
What's the biggest threat to kids today? From what I've seen, it looks wonderful. It's beautifully made and shot. Uh, there's some stunning performances. Um, so I'm going to read out what I think it's about from my little blurb, and then perhaps you can fill us in on what it's really about. Does that make sense? All right. So Pineville House, it's uh, about a 14-year-old boy called Aaron Stevens, and he stumbles into the aftermath of a $5 million bank heist, which goes wrong. He's hiding under a canoe, uh, and he... Uh, partially catches the murder of one of the robbers and in the curse he sneaks away with the money and heads straight for the closest place of safety which happens to be his high school there he's absolutely terrified and he tells his tale to uh, amanda becker his drama teacher but it doesn't take long for one of the psychotic robbers to show up uh, in the lockdown school the pair are relentlessly pursued in a quest to get the money back and wipe out the evidence yeah it sounds amazing it really is a really cool idea which you wrote you co-wrote right um with todd todd gordon yes todd gordon and you've turned it into a book as well um which i love i love the fact that you've gone further with it and said you know what let's let's make a book out of this as well that's great how did you come up with the story uh you know what i actually have uh it probably came out from a real incident that happened when i was a kid where i was playing hide and seek and uh, hid underneath a canoe i think it was about 12 years old and uh they didn't look underneath the canoe so i didn't get caught and i all i could see was their feet so they were looking around for me but they didn't look under the canoe and uh years later probably sometime in my 20s or mid 20s or early 30s i wrote a little story about a kid underneath a canoe and kind of, you know, nothing came of it. I don't know. I had a partial story. And then when I was, uh, actually in 2008, I went to the, uh, Cannes Film Festival and I had a, a screenplay, um, for a more of a drama movie. And I talked to, uh, the film distributors and whatnot. And they all said, look, if you're making your first film, um, it's, it can't be a drama because a drama needs Denzel Washington in it. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, Meryl Streep and whatever, and, and, and from a sales point of view, and this is you've got to make a, a horror, a low budget horror action film, thriller, something like that. That's that's where you can go with uh, more unnamed talent, and it has a, a wider market for sales for it. And so, yes, I went home, I went home, and I dug around and, and looked at and saw this little story, and it was about these kids in underneath the canoe, whatever. And I was thinking, okay, so what am I going to do? And then they say, well, you know, you're supposed to actually for your, you know, and you don't have money. You're supposed to set, you know, three or four actors and put them in a room because you don't have money to move around and you don't have money to do anything. So uh, at the time where I'm living here now in Thunder Bay, there was a couple of high schools that were being closed down. They were building super schools. They had old ones that didn't have, you know, they're old schools that didn't have all the uh, health and safety aspects, the elevators and, and considerations. So... It's like, do you renovate them or do you just take these old schools and, you know, what are you going to do with them? So they, there was a school that was empty. And I said, well, what happened? I basically took the idea of this kid where he would witness a crime and somebody stealing money and he, or he would take the money from them and then he would go back to his school. And then we housed ourselves in a, in a high school for, uh, for the rest of the shoot. So a little bit of outside in the woods and then basically all inside in a, in a school. It made sense to me. And I was lucky enough that the school that, uh, the school is actually going to be renovated into condos, but he put a, he allowed me to take over the school for two months. Uh, wow. Literally about three, you know, about five, four or five weeks of prep where we had an empty school, but we had to fill it. So it had all the lockers and rooms, <laughs> but we had to bring in filing cabinets, desk tables, chairs. We had to put up American flags, banners. We had to put up branding for the school and paint it everywhere. So we spent like five weeks kind of – a lot of my students became the art department and we would spend, you know, eight hours a day uh, moving stuff from the school into – from the from my college into the school to set dress it. So the college become or the, sorry, the high school becomes a character as well. That's great. That's really good. It's a great idea. What's is what they always say, isn't it? What's around you? What do you know? What can you get your hands on? What do you have access to to make a feature film? If you want to do it, well, there you go. You had a school near you. Perfect. Let's set it there and we'll, that that's, that's helps. And then a bit outside in the woods. I love it. I love it. It's always the challenge, isn't it, as well, of like, uh, I let you know, yeah, we've got a school, but you, you know, to shoot anything, you need an empty school. But it's like, oh, now I've got to fill it with things that you'd find Stuff in a school. Stuff and people, is, then. Yeah, it's it's always shockingly <laughs> difficult to do that. So I was like, oh yeah, the 
just get some desks, put some desks in there, but trying to find, you, so you need to find the right desks. kind of desk. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, well, you know what was funny is we spent five weeks filling it. And so we would, uh, we'd make, do all these trips and, you know, fill vans full of stuff and, and trailers full of stuff. And we haul these things and there's no elevator. So you're hauling stuff up and down stairs all over the place. And we did all this work over five weeks. And then when we finished shooting, we finished shooting at the end of a, uh, end of June and, it's like the 29th of June, and then the owner of the of the place says, "You know, you have to be out by July 1st." <laughs> and, and so I've just spent, uh, you know, all this time making the film. I'm exhausted. I'm getting three hours of sleep a night. You know, you're working for 12, mm-hmm. 14 hours a day. We've wrapped. Indeed, I'm yeah. Super excited. We've got it in the can. I'm so excited. But then I'm spending the next three or four days working 12 to 14 hours a day, lifting shit because we had to do. We had about three or four days to move everything out that took five weeks to get in. Oh my gosh. And I bet you just dumping almost it. everybody leaves, right? So you have... Of course they do. Yeah. Everyone You're finished. Gone. Everyone There's goes, right, see ya. Cheers. There was a few people around you who stayed to help, but I was so exhausted. And yet you're like, I'm sleepwalking and I'm, and I'm carrying half of a desk down three flights of stairs. And oh uh, just, you know, by the time we were done, and I remember I like slept for like two weeks straight. I just, it's it. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. exhausted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the glamour of filmmaking right there. Oh, it's, it's totally glamorous. It, that was always a bit that bothered me. It, I mean, it's, it's wonderful setting it up and shooting it and doing it. But then, like you say, the actors go home, the makeup go home, and some of the crew go home, and suddenly you're going, oh, who's left to actually tidy <laughs> this up? Oh, right, I've got to do that. And it's all fun and games at first. And in the end, you go, yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. I should have hired a, someone to come and do this because it's a horrible part of the job. But someone has to do it. And you as the producer and director, unfortunately, had to get your hands dirty and get on with it because no one else will do it. It's your project, your baby. You've got a great cast. Um, you've got Carol Bailey uh, as a sheriff. Trembler. You've got uh, Priscilla and Fo- Forda, Daryl Doherty, Jacob Brown. Wayne V. Johnson, who was fantastic, and Basil Hoffman, and obviously Presley uh, Massara. I hope I yes. pronounced his name right, as your, yeah. as your lead, Adam. How did you go about casting it? How did you get them all involved? On Obviously, this is a low-budget film. Well, you know what? Um, if we go backwards, when I was in the middle of trying to find financing for it, and uh, you know, I was originally looking you know, to make it for like a $2 million movie or so, um, and went through the, the, the gauntlet of trying to find money in Canada, which... There is uh, various pockets of money, whether it's provincial or federal, where you can access it. Well, I got absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, it, like, like England. Got nothing. Yes. And so I ended up doing it on my own. And at the time, I had I had an actor who um, – his name is Boo Boo Stewart. He was, um, he was in like three or four of the Twilight movies and then ended up being a character in the X-Men movies. And uh, he was signed on on a letter of intent to be my young star. And um, – Everything was great, and then the I got to a point where my budget was getting lower and lower and lower, and then I I decided I set dates. I said, "Come, I don't care if I've got ten grand or a hundred grand or a million dollars. I've got to shoot it." And I set my dates, and uh, the actor um, from Twilight basically said, "Well, you know, the dates didn't work for them because they were he was in uh, doing promo for uh, an X Men movie." And I said, "Well, then I'm gonna let I'm gonna have to let him go." Um, And so, so I walked away and his dad, and his dad was kind of, you know, I can't believe you're going to, you're going to, you're going to not, you're not going to cast my son. I'm like, no, because I have to shoot my movie and I can't wait for, I can't wait for the positive thing that came from that was in the, in the year or two that we were, he was partially, you know, as this letter of intent signed is boo boo asked me a question. He said, tell me about the town of Pineville. And like, you know, and so I go, okay, so I'll write you a couple pages. And I emailed him uh, like two or three pages of history, I, this fictitious town of Pineville, what the, uh, the economic climate was, the, you know, what's the, what's the, the, the tone of the town? What is, the, what's the population? What's the, the social culture of the town? And after writing it, I thought, you know, it's, it's, uh, and I sent it to him. He goes, Oh, great. It gives me an idea of who this kid is. I decided, you know, what if I, what if I novelize it? What if I take each scene and actually expand on it? And, and the book becomes a companion piece that an actor can use because obviously a screenplay is the blueprint, but it doesn't tell you what, mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you everything, right? I mean, it's, it's an architectural drawing of the movie and it doesn't give you feelings and, and stuff like that. It's, it's only what you see and what you hear. So the book gave me a chance to, 
to go a little bit deeper and add a little bit more color and texture. So I ended up self-publishing it, and I signed a couple of uh, ind- uh, uh, deals with um, independent distributors for various territories and um, and pushed it out. And then the great thing was that partially because I think Boo Boo had a fan base because of Twilight, it basically my Twitter account just just went to like I don't know thirty forty thousand people. Um, the book ended up selling in ebook, audiobook, and paperback over forty two forty three thousand copies. Wow! Uh, I was That's number incredible. at one point. I was number two. I got to number two on Amazon. So I was sandwiched between a couple of Hunger Games books. And, um, it's, well, and thank it did, you, boo-boo. thank you very much. So even though he wasn't in it and I appreciate his support for the time that he could have been on it, it mm-hmm. actually really supported. It. And the great thing is that I think the book actually is what helped attract the ability to do it because the average person doesn't read screenplays, producers, actors, and directors yep. do. And so I could engage an audience with the book. And also for, it's true, bringing people on suddenly it's like, Oh, this is, based on a novel people like that it makes a big difference it gives it more grounding and feeling and distributors like that too there's more to go on yeah it's got a sort of life beyond the film and it also you've got a built-in audience mm-hmm. as well exactly really good so how did you get the money how let's talk about the money and talk about the budget itself how did you do that did you you mentioned there you did that yourself did you put your own money in uh, there's so there's there's some of my own money in it for sure. Like I say, the book the book uh, there's this some of the investors that I have are more are passionate investors, which means most of them are not reading the screenplay; they're reading the book, right? So mm-hmm. they they basically go, you know, here's uh, here's ten grand, you know, whatever to, to your budget, and uh, go make it. And none of them were uh, uh, trying to impact how I made the film in any way. They were like, just go at it, like which is great. You didn't have an investor who was kind of, right. I want to roll and I want this and do this, and you have to change this before I give you the money. So that that was uh, that was helpful to to the process. So. Uh, yeah, I just found a collection of people that were that were supportive to to making the movie and um, and and yeah. So it's I don't know. It's probably just slightly under about a hundred thousand bucks uh, to towards to towards putting into the budget and uh, lots of uh, turning one dollar into ten dollars. Um, you know, you make deals that actually work to your advantage. It's weird when you talk budgets because it's, yeah. it is you know you can say well it's a hundred thousand dollar movie but is it really a hundred thousand dollar movie or is exactly it- exactly in terms of um, on set then and your preparation you say you, you like myself you're very prepared and CJ the same <laughs> <laughs> I said that you didn't have to laugh I, no one would have known <laughs> um, like say did anything change on the day as, as it always does what about filming the action working with kids when things went wrong uh, talk us through a sort of a day that you had to improvise or well I'll give you a really good example and some of it some of it's in the trailer and that is um obviously i had a, a you know week a week or a week and a half to do some uh, some rehearsals with actors and whatnot and i remember there was this one scene where um uh, carl bailey and uh, priscilla uh who plays the teacher and presley were they're in a cafeteria kitchen area and you know, you know, a week before shooting, we went and talked through the scene and we blocked it and we rehearsed a little bit of it. And, you know, we got our, a rhythm for what was going on. And then, you know, three weeks, you jump three weeks later, we're, we're shooting the scene, but we're way behind schedule. Uh, a scene that we thought we were going to have a day to shoot on, we now suddenly have like a couple of hours. And you're like, oh, yes. shit, how are we going to deal with this? And I remember being, you know, very, very stressed. We're rushed. We're trying to do an action sequence in a couple of hours that should take us a lot longer. So we literally set ourselves up and said, we're going to do two sides. We're going to do, we're, we'll just do, we're going to do lens changes. We're going to do it on a hundred and eighty and eighty five. We're going to do it on a fifty and a thirty, thirty five. And we're going to just, we're going to, we'll just, we'll run through it ten times and change the lens five times. And we're just going to do it from both sides. We'll do an hour on one side, one hour on the other. Supremely rushed and very worried about how it was going to cut. And the, Interestingly enough, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it has a lot of energy to it. Um, this is a scene basically where he crashes through the cafeteria window and stuff like that. Oh yeah, and uh, and it worked out really. It worked out really well. And so, but you know what? It wouldn't have worked out again. Going back to what we talked about at the beginning, it wouldn't have worked if we hadn't if we hadn't done rehearsals. 
like when we got to that scene, it's like you know everyone looks at the director and goes, and the actors look at the uh, the director, and they say, well, what's what are we gonna what are we gonna do, you know? And I'm like, well, <laughs> we've already rehearsed it, so let's just get into the let's. We did a quick rehearsal, you know. Uh, Dave looks at what the rehearsal is and just just throws go, up yeah. the lights, throws up the lights and says, well, let's just shoot it. Now, if we hadn't have rehearsed it, we would have spent an hour trying to figure out what the blocking was before you could even shoot it. And then we would have been screwed. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I, I love rehearsals as much as possible too. Whenever I didn't have time because I was over in Bulgaria for too long on, on the day beforehand. So actors were coming the day before sometimes to shoot the scene the next day. And so you hadn't rehearsed enough because well, you hadn't rehearsed at all. So suddenly you're on set and you're going, okay, I haven't actually rehearsed this with you. We need to go through it now. Whereas the times where I had rehearsed stuff, it flew. It wasn't a problem because you'd, you'd be thinking about everything else and performances and tweaking. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's the logic, isn't it? Also, it's like the logic of here. You read on the paper, you read it on the script. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But then you play it out loud in a room or you say it out loud and then you hear it and you go, actually... That makes no sense. You wouldn't say that because you know so and such. And it's you know you breathe life into it and say like, oh yeah, that doesn't that doesn't read true at all now, does it? And that's the the key of rehearsals for me. It's always like oh yeah, it's it's where it doesn't sound. There's no truth in it now. You know, it's it's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely, it is, and it puts actors at ease as well. So when they come in, they feel much yeah. more confident with what they're yeah. doing rather than looking around, especially if it's their first yeah. day and the crew are going, well, go on then. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, because things do happen that just mess you up. Your head is all over the place with so much information and people asking you questions all the time about the next scene, what you've got happening. And it's really hard to focus everything into one place and just keep going. And it's like you said afterwards, you just wanted to sleep for two weeks and probably did like myself. Um, was there anything else that happened on set that was that was troubling or difficult? Or any advice you could give people? In many ways, the shoot went pretty smooth i mean obviously i've got my assistant director standing there pointing at his watch all the time wanting me mm. to hurry up <laughs> um and you know because your days your days go long i mean we uh you're you know i've, I've got a core group of um heads of department who are great and did an awesome job and then i'm working with a lot of students and film grads who don't have the instincts yet and for some of them it was their first movie and so Sometimes it's a little, it, you're a little slower and, you know, it, you know, it takes you a, you know, a couple of weeks to kind of ramp up and get speed going where people are, are into the rhythm. But the thing is, it's a, it's a, it's a low budget film. So after a couple of weeks, you're almost done the movie. So, uh, so we got into really good rhythm as we went along and then, and then it's over. And, but yeah, there was, interestingly enough, we didn't, you know, as you're, you're, I was thinking afterwards, we don't have a really, we don't even, we don't have a blooper reel. Like there's no, there's, there weren't a lot of mistakes. I mean, actors, actors were, were, were supremely prepared considering, you know, they're, they're non-union actors and they're, they're, some of them, it's their first role or big, first big role. And, uh, I never had to worry about actors not being on time or being prepared. And I think that's huge. I mean, from a director point of view, if you can, if you can get a if you if you've got a solid script, I mean a solid solid script, and you can get and if you got really really good talent in front of the camera, ninety percent of your job is done, right? Yeah, yeah um, totally agree with you're that. You're not if you're if you don't have a solid script and there's and it's a lot of issues and you don't have actors and actors are are confused and they don't know what they're doing and they're asking you're you're trying to figure it out on set, you're you're going you might still make something but it's going to be choppy and it's the you know, the performances might not transition in a in the proper arc because... This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. 
Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. I mean, for example, on the first day of shooting, we we did a very dramatic scene, and somebody actually said, I can't believe you're starting with this. Like, this <laughs> is, you didn't start slow. We started right on in a scene where somebody is getting violently attacked, and it's the, wow. the reactions between the two characters are very hardcore, and, you know, the teacher's getting pushed up against the chalkboard by the bad guy, and it's, you know. Yeah. And someone said, well, you know what? It's just, this is just how the schedule is. I mean, we've just got to deal with this. And the thing is, if you're not prepared, if you, if you, you're setting the tone, and you might shoot a part of a scene on one day and have to wait two weeks for the next part of the scene. And the thing is you have to match it. So if you make a creative decision that doesn't, that a mistake on the first day and you set the tone at one level and then you realize it was a mistake and you go back, you, what are you going to reshoot it or, or you continue the tone so the art works. And I remember a couple of times being questioned about my decisions of, of an actor and when, you know, whether it was right or not. And, and, um, in some way, I remember, I remember, I remember, uh, one point Dave LeMay asking, you know, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. And I just kept saying, Dave, look, I trust you to light it and shoot it, make it look awesome. Trust me that I'm getting what I think I need as a director. And I remember the, the vindication for me was, I remember him, uh, after he saw one of the cuts was, uh, you know, you're right. It worked. It worked. And I'm like, great. That's because oh, I'm doing and you're doing yours and so yes you know sometimes you question you know you, you might question you know, I, I think it was one point the mother um the, the mother of presley showed up on set and she didn't want to be a part she didn't want to intimidate her son you know because he's 13 years old and she didn't want his mommy looking over his shoulder while he's acting so she stayed away and at one point halfway through the movie she came up to watch a little bit she sat over my shoulder and she looked at the screen the monitor and uh, we did a scene and I yelled cut and whatever. And she looked at me and she said, Oh, I didn't really like that much. I didn't think much of that. And I said, you know what? You're watching, you're basically making a judgment call on a moment of time and you have no connection to this, what happened before or after you don't know whether it's realistic or authentic. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're, you can't make that judgment because you don't, you've never witnessed anything before or after and you don't know whether it's actually works or not. Absolutely. And you know, I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to be mean, but it no. was basically you've got you to say the truth. Have, yeah, I'm there watching every scene, every take, every action, and making. And it's 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 that my job is to ensure ensure that it's realistic and and it's and everything's right. And Absolutely, I think just, you handle that very well because that could have been difficult. You know, it could have been really awkward. But but yeah, you've you've got to just say, look, you're seeing the bigger picture, and of course, there's bits of that take which you're not going to use, and you know you're not going to use. But that mother yeah, might be sat there going, oh, but that bit wasn't because they're, they're seeing it as a already a film. They're watching the screen thinking yeah. that's the finished thing. And it's like, no, no, well, there's loads of yeah. cuts and edits and stuff I'm going to use. And especially cutting around kids, which you've got to do because kids will give you a great moment and then not a good moment because they're not all, sure. not always thinking about it unless they're Stranger Things kids. And they're, and they're just, you know, incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough on set. You've got to be on your toes you've got to really be thinking constantly and you've got to know what you're doing and i think that essential being control and you're the sort of puppet master you've you've got to stay there you've got to stay in control and even if your decision you're not sure about your decision you've still got to go with it you've got to go yes this is what we're doing and then think about it you can always change your mind but always have an opinion um when people ask you is my advice which i'm sure you'd be the same when people say, what do you yeah, think, red sure. or green? What was the other bit of advice was that uh, I don't care who's right as long as one of us is. Yes, so, exactly. You know, so you get you get into a position where, you know, there's there's times, you know, obviously the, the relationship between a cinematographer and the director is, you know, you're, you're crafting the story. And, and my thing is, um, was always, um, and, you know, some of the frustrations we might have had on set at times in the, in the creative co collaboration was, um, there's times when, when Dave just didn't, wasn't happy creatively with maybe the lighting or, 
or whatever. And he didn't, or he didn't like it. And I kept saying, Dave, I, every shot can't be the masterpiece you want it to be, but I need this shot in the edit. This is unfortunately to tell the story. This is a missing hole if we don't do it. So I know it's creatively not satisfying your desires right now, but I'm thinking of the entire picture, not just this one shot. I agree with you. This shot is nothing to write home about is this shot is not going to win you a, 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 an Oscar, but uh, in the edit, my editor is going to go, where is it? Why? Did Absolutely. It? And, uh, and so, the, you know, sometimes those are the little battles you have where, you know, you, you, you know, creatively, I mean, you're, you're, it's interesting where we're, it's a, it's a form, it's an art form and we're artists and yet there's so much, there's technical and there's so much collaboration involved that uh you know t- tensions can be there or people have disagreements about creative direction and on where things are and, and you know you have to uh, there's a really good line you mentioned Ridley Scott earlier at the opening and you were talking about Ridley Scott there's a really good I like uh, you know Ridley Scott was in one of his one of his uh DVD commentaries was Basically, someone said, oh, I, what about this? What about that? And, and really, Scott just says, you know, if you're going to be the director, you have to learn to say, you know what? Just fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Do what I say. I'm yeah. the director. Fuck yeah. off. Fuck off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you direct it's, the next one and then you'll see. You can do it when it's your movie, but right now it's mine. This is what I want. Just do it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you just have to say, just do that. Even though you don't want to do that, sometimes you just do. Please just get the shot for me, please. Uh, uh, then we can move on. Um, and we'll talk about it later but for now we're just on set wasting time which is what I always didn't like I didn't like discussions too much on set it's like well we could be shooting now I could have already got that shot and get the next one that you're discussing we could have got both um, but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a tough balance but you've got to be strong as a director and you've got to be firm as a producer too you know you, whichever side you're coming at you've got to and you've also got support your director and you've got to support the people there who are wanting it's their vision and it's hard to get inside yeah. their head um, because yeah. they're holding every single card, every single piece is in their mind, how it's going to cut. Talking of cutting and editing, uh, trying to get the thriller elements right when you're cutting this, how was that for you? Because that must have been a difficult process in the edit. Did you find you had all the shots? You uh, well, you know what? I, when you're doing low-budget filmmaking, you, 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 you really sometimes only get 90% of what you really wanted because you don't have the time or you don't have the money or you don't have enough days to do what you want to do. Um, so it was a bit difficult. The post was difficult because my editor, um, was based in Australia and took the data with him to Australia and was editing. But he, you know, again, it's, you're talking about low budget, which means he's got to go off and do other work and get paid. And so it, the post was a, a, a long period, a year and a half to tr- finally finish it. And, wow. um, but, you know, the editor who, who did the, the movie The Reckoning, uh, Reg uh, Squarko was, did a supremely good job. He's a very talented editor, and and uh, and I totally appreciate his talents for taking terabytes worth of material and stripping things away and putting things into in, into place the way they were. You know what? I look at it now, and it's it's for what we. I'm amazed we did it. I'm amazed we completed mm. it on what we completed it on. It's very very close to what I imagined it, and I think in many ways because we didn't have government funding and government oversight and somebody telling me who I can hire and who I couldn't because I had 100% control. Um, it's closer probably to my vision than had I been told. No, you can't work with Dave LeMay, and no, you can't have Reg on board as the editor, and you have to use you can't use that Italian composer because he has to be Canadian due to the funding regulations and. And so uh, I would have been, um, you know, I would have been boxed into different corners where I have to make decisions that uh, that went against my instincts in many ways. So it worked out very well. Um, It worked out very well, all things considered. And I know that the next time I make a movie, because obviously the the thing for me is I I would never make a movie the same way again. Like I would never, if I'm going to make a movie again, it's going to be a million dollars plus. I'm not, even if it takes me... Really? it won't do it. Oh. I won't do it because well, really? it's too pressure. It, there's too much pressure. And the other thing is it, I have to make the next movie has to be better. It has to be bigger and bolder. It has to have name talent that helps drive distribution. It, I can't do it on the low budget because you can't have the name talent, the, the, the talent that, it, that for that. So, so, um, you know, That's creatively, so creatively, as much as I, I consider myself a writer director and I love directing, 
Um, I can still do short stuff. I can still do other things, but um, I have a great job as a teacher. I stay very creative and I'm busy helping oversee 80 some short films uh, over an eight month period. So I'm, I'm busy creatively and I'm keeping my, my, uh, I'm keeping my, my director head still works. Um, and I use my, of course I, it does because you're making things all the time. I'm making things all the time. And so, so, so I'm busy and then I have great summers off to be able to do other things. I mean, I shot my movie and my time off from, 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 from teaching at the college. And now, you know, I mean, other thing right now, my, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of writing, um, you know, writing other, other scripts. Directing means raising lots of money and I can write. I mean, right now, you know, you can, I can sit there and write scripts. And and mm -hmm. keep and keep yeah. creatively coming up with stories, and then eventually, eventually, when the time is right, when all the stars align and everything serendipitously works together, then I'll direct the next one. But it has to be better. Like I don't want to be a factory where I'm making movies for the cheap just because I need to make a movie. Uh, I'm gonna make a movie when it's right. All right. Yeah, stick to that. Listen, this has been amazing. There's been so much information here and facts and tidbits and stuff like that. Uh, I really appreciate your time. So The Pineville Heist is out now in certain territories. Remind everyone again where they can they can watch this. Well, it just came out on Amazon.com for uh, American customers and uh, soon it'll be coming out for Canada, UK, Australia. Uh, but it has through uh, the sales agent. They have made deals for television and uh, video on demand in uh, China, Korea, Taiwan, and some Middle Eastern countries as well. So it's been sold to about a dozen countries, which is pretty awesome. That is awesome. I can't wait to tweet that out for everyone who is in those countries so they can then go and watch the Pineville Heist and see what it is all about. Um, where can people follow you on the social medias? Whereabouts can they follow you? Uh, well, they can uh, follow me on uh, leechambers.com on my website, or they can mm -hmm. follow me on Twitter on at Lee Chambers. Uh, those are the, the the two easiest ones, and then from there they can uh, they can watch the trailer for the Pineville Heist, or there's even some short films on there, and read about some of the new stuff that's uh, that's going on. I'm uh, I'm always uh, like to be um, you know as a you know as an educator as well as a as a and a and a workshop presenter speaker. I like to. Uh, you know, I'm always, you know, I, I'll answer emails and support and, and if people want to reach out. So um, uh, by all means, you know, look me up and uh, and uh, may not be able to have all the answers you need or whatnot. But I, I'm always I've always got an, o an open ear and uh, like to be supportive. That's, that's really nice. Um, and also uh, on Twitter, uh, the Pineville Heist at the Pineville Heist. Correct. Both of those. Yeah. One of the one of the, one of the specific for the movie. And the other one is my personal one, which I use for. I also use for film stuff. Love it. Brilliant. So you can follow me at Giles Alderson. You can follow the Filmmakers Podcast at Filmmakers Pod or www.filmmakerspodcast.com where you can catch up on all the previous episodes. CJ, where can we follow you? As always, uh, you can find me at Direct on Twitter. Uh, and your website. People should go see your brilliant website. Tell them what it is. <laughs> CJDirector.com. There you go. Um, there's some great work. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's stuff. Like um, and, and as always, guys, it's... Thanks. It's been a pleasure, as always, and, and insightful to the end. Uh, if you have any questions you want reading out on the show about filmmaking and you want us to answer them, please, please do DM us on Twitter uh, and get hold of us there and we will answer your question. Remember, being prepared is everything. You can make your indie film, but know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up, it's your duty to send the elevator back down lee chambers thank you very much for your time thank you very much uh, and remember the next show is out next tuesday we will see you next tuesday thank you very much um and yeah carry on making films work hard you can do it i promise you you can do it write your script to get the story right get out there and make it make a short make a feature it's even better um and then you'll be able to get it out in the world and make your next one Lee, thanks, mate. Really appreciate this. I, 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 when I come to Canada, I'm going to look you up. We're going to go have a beer. Sounds great. Sounds right. great. All right, mate. You take right, care. Guys, catch you later. Bye-bye-bye. Cheers.